3: So, what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The best conversations I have with
2: my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
3: Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor.
2: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a Contributing Columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu.
3: Follow Impromptu
4: now, wherever you listen. Okay, guys, the Weekside Podcast is back. I'm Connor Orr, and alongside me, digitally, virtually, is Jenny Vrentis. And uh, we're going to talk about some football today because... At this point in time, uh, early in the week here, um, this is uh, you know July 22nd that we're recording this. Um, here's what we know: training camp is still on pace, technically, to begin on time, um, and uh, we, we've heard a lot coming from the NFL, the NFLPA about the protocols. So uh, we'll get in, t- we'll get right into that, and then we'll get to uh, some topics and uh, some other news. But here's what we know as of right now. Um, Players are going to get tested every day for two straight weeks um, at reportedly a cost of $75 million to the NFL. Um, if if uh, positive tests fall under 5%, it will move to every other day after the two weeks. Um, as it stands right now, there are no preseason games. The first five to six days of camp will be testing and physicals. 6 to 12 will be strength, conditioning, and walkthroughs. 14 to 18, increased non-contact activity with helmets. And day 20 plus pads and uh, normal on-field practice protocol. So sort of a truncated version of everything that a team would try to go through um, in its uh, OTAs and training camp, mandatory mini camp, all that stuff um, in this preseason time. Uh, What do you make of all this, Jenny? Does this sound uh, feasible to you?
5: Well, I think it's a lot of progress forward from where things were a few days ago. You know, the NFLPA had a conference call with reporters last Friday, and J.C. Treader, who's the president, uh, was saying that he was worried about the ramp-up period, right? They've, they've been pushing to extend this ramp-up period. They looked back at 2011 when players were coming Back from the lockout, there was a spike in injuries of something like 20%. Kelly's went up two times, hamstrings 40%. Those were the numbers they were citing. So they wanted an extended time of strength and conditioning, and then they're non-padded, then padded, which is, is what this is. I don't know if it's, it's a little bit more truncated, I think, than the players had been pushing for, but obviously in a negotiation you end up at a certain spot. But it was clear from that conversation that there would be no space for preseason games, and I think – The league realized that and they worked out a solution here, which I think is positive because the players were saying we don't have testing protocols and we also don't have, uh, easing in period. And they did get those done with training camp uh, on the horizon here. So it was a late push to kind of get to a better place. Obviously there's a lot of other things to work out. Some of the economics, uh, some of the continued uh, protocols and what happens in season if there are outbreaks and with rosters, but this is at least a, a good step forward and give a lot of credit to the players for holding firm. They know that for a season to be played, the NFL needs them and they fought for their safety collectively. The biggest stars around the league use their voices and that's how the power of the players should be, right? I mean, you, you, they are the stars. They're the ones who make the game. They should be fighting for the things that they need to play safely. And it was great to see that they did and they got some of the results they were pushing for.
4: In the wake of George Floyd's murder, uh, the players, uh, you know, coalition that came together and used their voice and got actionable change right away was impressive. This, while you know, a less serious matter, uh, still shows that you know the NFL is realizing, I think, um, how united of a front the players have been putting up, and it's impressive. I mean, you know, in the past we've seen. The players get steamrolled, you know, um, for some really important things. And when it comes to whatever it is, health and safety—I mean, you know, anything that's uh, important to players—but um, now it seems like, uh, you know, like you said, they're finally realizing their collective strength, or you know, they're finally all getting on the same page. I mean, so many times before, um, the messages there wasn't there, just wasn't a united front. And it seems like there's a there's an energy there that hasn't been there in the past with the players.
5: Yeah, and I think when we saw the back and forth over the CBA and whether to vote yes or no, and obviously there was a divide over the players and it narrowly passed as a yes and people... We're looking back on that and saying, well, thank goodness they passed the CBA because the pandemic hit and it was better to have a labor deal locked in. And that is absolutely true. But what I will say at that time was, you know, sometimes when you're presented and bargaining has been done and you're voting yes or no, you don't have a lot of room necessarily. And I think an engagement throughout the process to get to that point or pushing back when the NFL came to the table and said, our starting point is a 17 game season, which is something that the players have long opposed, I think, earlier were when those conversations needed to happen. But I I still think, and as I thought then, that engagement from the players and powerful players using uh, their platforms and the influence that they have can be helpful in labor disputes. And while it was good that they passed the CBA, It didn't have all the things that I think were important to some players, which is why the vote was so close. And so I think we have seen this kind of natural outgrowth, as you said, Connor. You know, I think sometimes when you're pushed to the point of being completely and totally fed up, which the players were seeing the NFL's initial response to George Floyd and feeling like there was a continued lack of support for the black community. There was lack of anti-racist actions that really galvanized it. And I'm really interested to see. I mean, obviously, there is a CBA locked in. So that's not going to be part of the fight in the months and years to come. But there's always things to bargain over, especially as working conditions are going to be as in flux as they are coming out of the pandemic. And I am really interested to see what this renewed force that the players have together, what kinds of gains can be made from it.
4: Yeah. um, And, You know, I was thinking about this this morning, actually, and was talking to a few people about this. And I think what is interesting to me is that we've seen now NHL testing numbers, very low NBA testing numbers, extremely low. I think it was like two out of 300 or something like that was the, you know, the last one that I saw from the NHL, I think on Twitter. Um, These guys can be, uh, you know, and as they have been in, 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 in this amid this whole pandemic, an example to the rest of society. And yeah, it's a small sample size. And you're in this protective bubble, and you're making a million dollars. And, you know, there are definitely some differences economically with the rest of the country. But it's like, Let's let's take this as an opportunity to show people that if you wear your masks and you follow these protocols, like you can contain it in these small, high-profile bubbles that are extremely visible and extremely important to large groups of the population. You know, I think that there's a real opportunity there to show people, like, hey, you know, these guys are doing the exact same thing that you should be doing, and it's not about taking away your freedoms. It's not about doing any of this. It's just about being safe and smart, um, and and following you know the science here, and I. Think Think that you know that is one encouraging thing that I think can come of this. That everybody looks and says, "Okay, well, you know, this is how we get football. This is how we get baseball. This is how we get basketball." And uh, and maybe by following these protocols um, and fighting for, for a more safe environment, we're, they're making a small kind of change on on a more public scale.
5: Yeah, we've definitely seen those efforts from the players' association. Demoris Smith on this media call Friday said something along those same lines. You know, wear a mask; it save li- saves lives. And Andrew Whitworth, the Rams, told from the Rams told the story of how I think nine members of his family um, were came down with COVID nineteen because one relative had gone out to lunch with somebody, and then it spread through their family. And I believe he said his father in law was hospitalized and um was was fine but um clearly had a big impact on the family and it was a clear example of how one action that you think might be okay can actually infect a large number of people um so i think you're you're seeing that when you're hearing those important stories and this is a continued opportunity you know um obviously pro sports leagues are investing a lot of money that schools and other organizations don't have to invest and they have certain luxuries and privileges. Um, And there is a lot of resources and attention being paid in to resuming sports. And we've talked a lot about how we have mixed feelings about that. But to your point, they're forging ahead with this plan. And so at least need to make part of it, the idea that it's only working because certain protocols are being followed.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to feel easy about the fact that, yeah, they can get daily COVID testing because they have $75 million to spend on daily COVID testing, you know, Um, whereas, you know, how many people in our own lives have we heard of that, you know, uh, one of my friends just flew out to, um, you know, a job, um outside of New York and um you know it took 16 days to get his covid test results mm. back. So in that time how many times could you have contracted coronavirus, you know, and right. how many opportunities would you have had to get it? You know, it seems like that is the average waiting period for um for the layperson whereas these guys are getting something far more instantaneous or at least, you know, uh, a much better version of that. So, you know, that mm. the privatization of that is disappointing and upsetting, but you know, here's to hoping that at least it, it it increases the awareness and the seriousness with which people should take it. Because I just, I still don't think we're there. And if we can at least arrive to that point, um, maybe we can see some real actionable change if the rest of the country gets behind this and says, hey, yeah, we I, I would like to be tested safely and securely and frequently, you know?
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's exactly what you're seeing. You know, I've heard a lot like here in New York of people have gotten tested and the lag time is something like two weeks. And as you said, that doesn't help a lot because you could have picked it up in the time between you got tested and when you got the results. If you want to get faster results, there are ways to do that, but you have to pay a lot of money. Um, and there you know, private doctors that will do it and process process the tests and if you shell out a lot of money um someone sent me the other day like they were looking into what it would cost okay if someone came to your home did the test and you got the results in 12 24 48 hours and it was just you know it could be as much as like a thousand dollars to try to get a result in 12 hours it's just kind of crazy to think about a lot of these barriers and how of course there's always better access to And faster access to people who have money. So, those inequities are always going to be unsettling.
4: Yeah. Um, all right what do you say we um, hop into the topics we have uh, we do have some news this week um, our first uh, topic Washington's football team has made two significant hires in recent days one Terry Bateman to oversee the name change and rebranding process and two Julie Donaldson to lead the team's radio broadcast after Larry Michael was let go in the wake of that Washington Post investigation uh, one appears to be um, you know kind of a longtime Dan Snyder ally um, someone who's worked with the team in the past and very various capacities, um, whereas Donaldson, it seems like at least an inspiring choice. She grew, she joins a small um, but hopefully growing club of female play-by-play announcers at the NFL level, um, and, and I'm wondering if there's anything we can take away from these moves, and I will say this, um, Beth Moens, who does uh, the Raiders games, um, I was lucky enough to be at her Hall of Fame induction for um, Syracuse University in the Newhouse School, and, uh, you know, I can't say enough the amount of work um, that goes into this. I mean, breaking into play by play is a gargantuan task for anybody, but especially, um, you know, females that have been underrepresented across the board and play by play for a long time. So regardless, I mean, you know, I think, no matter how it happened, this is a good thing because like Beth, I'm sure that Julie will kill it and do a great job and show people that like this idea that we've had of this booth in our minds that has to exist, um, is, is not true, you know, and, and that there are definitely a ton of different voices who can contribute to, uh, to that.
5: Yeah. I think it's a good step in, in the wake of everything that's happened. I mean, bringing in a a person who's from outside the organization, um, Hiring a a female announcer or just a a woman in any kind of position where they have authority in the organization is important. Uh, I guess the question would be, you know, making sure that that person is empowered to have input on decisions and, you know, really be... Um, given authority on certain aspects uh, of the organization being brought into conversations. And one thing I, I keep hearing specifically as it pertains to the name change, and I think it speaks more broadly to some of the issues at Washington is that Dan Snyder likes to keep a tight circle. So, you know, I think, when you bring in outside people that's a good first step but then i think it's just as important to make sure that those people are empowered that their insights and opinions are listened to and that they're given authority to weigh in uh within the organization
4: it's i i would not personally sign up to be the person who leads the branding um if you know that that seems like a dicey proposition i mean you know if had he handed that to a committee that was made up of you know, um, Native American tribal leaders of, you know, people who are actually steeped in in this, I think that would be encouraging. But, um, you know, if you're appointed by a guy who hasn't spoken out about any of these things yet, I would be nervous about just, you know, putting my name to that, you know, and, uh, you know, because who's... Are they going to stand by you during the fallout? You know, and, you know, if people don't like the nickname, if people don't like the branding, if people don't like anything, I mean, you know, it seems like a scary proposition, but um, it, it is interesting. I mean, I think um, Julie's hire is certainly inspiring and, you know, hopefully that. Um, we might see some of that, um, from more of that from Snyder in the future, just cause we talked about on the episode earlier this week, it makes for a better environment. It makes for, um, you know, a happier place to go to work. And I think that any fan of the team should be rooting for that, you know, um, because it does make your team better. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, that's my two cents.
5: I hope they distance entirely from Native American imagery. I mean, that was the report True. that leaked out, but um, you know, many Native Americans that I have spoke with don't seem to want there to be any affiliation um, because they don't trust them to do it for the right reasons or in the right way. I mean, how could you blame them given the team's interactions, supposed interactions with Native American communities? Um, Although it seems as though Warriors is a a prime contender. And um, if they do go that direction, it will be very interesting to see what legwork they have claimed to have done if they choose that name.
4: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to
2: Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from the Washington Post gives you what matters.
5: Um, All right, topic number two, Michael Bennett retired after 11 seasons on Tuesday, citing a desire to reimagine his purpose and help athletes find their voice when it comes to the social justice movement. The defensive end finishes his career with three Pro Bowls, a Super Bowl, and 69.5 sacks.
4: Hall of Famer, do you think, Jenny? Or a potential Hall of Fame candidate?
5: Interesting. Uh, That's a good question. I I feel like I have... um, Sometimes I have a little bit of a hard time putting into context the criteria that qualify someone for the Hall of Fame.
4: Yeah, that's true. I think it's interesting that um, you know Michael Bennett's definitely always been one of the more uh, thoughtful players in the league. I think it's um, you know it's it's nice to see a retirement announcement that. You know, talks about reimagining your purpose. That talks about accepting this part of your life. I mean, it's such a difficult time for players, um, especially players who have built their lives and identities around a long career in football. And I think, um, you know, having someone with sort of a mindful approach to that um, is good. I mean, it's it's healthy, and you know. To, to say like, hey, I want to support my family like they supported me. I want to help players. I want to, you know, do all this stuff. I mean, it shows people, I think, that there is a life after the game and a healthy life after the game. And here's hoping that, you know, he's he's actually found that. You always root for that, I think, when it comes to any player who's retiring from the NFL.
5: Yeah, and, you know, I thought his comments to the New Yorker, he touched on a lot of issues. It wasn't a traditional retirement announcement where you basically relive all of the things that you've done in your career he talked about a lot of important issues about the whiteness of the decision makers in the NFL um he talked about he had a quote in there saying not everyone can be Colin Kaepernick or Maya Moore you know not everyone's in a position to sacrifice their career and that there are a lot of different ways for players who maybe aren't in that position to make contributions um and so I thought those were I mean I, I just a lot of really thoughtful comments. Obviously, he's long been uh, a thoughtful voice in the NFL. So it makes sense that his retirement announcement would come the same way. But, um, you know, I, I think framing it in the sense of you have a lot of work to do and uh, not this like, you know, um, it, it's both a positive and a difficult thing. Right. I mean, I think there was a very good framing of it. You're, obviously, it's one part of your life that is ending, but there's a lot more work to do and he laid the foundation for that work while he was playing.
4: I think a serially kind of underrated player too, just in terms of like the sack production. Um, those numbers can get goose depending on what scheme you're in and, you know, what your defensive coordinators or your coaches are trying to do, but just sort of one of those like foundational defensive players like a guy who was really important to like several really good teams over the years you know and played like a vital role in um, in several really good defenses not to mention you know Seattle's sort of best defenses I guess over the last few you know few years
5: yeah absolutely he definitely played a a prominent role in shaping how defense was played through the last decade
4: yeah for sure Um, all right we got Topic number three. Front office sports reported this week that NFL is moving closer to allowing players to wear helmet decals honoring the names of people who lost their lives due to systemic racism or police brutality is this a sign that the league is coming around to the wishes of its players or is it sort of an avenue to to control the activism and say okay well you know we can we'll give you the helmet you know we can give you a decal on the back of the helmet whereas we've seen in the NBA players will be able to wear names on the back of their jerseys which one of our listeners um, suggested Um, you know maybe there's a couple different ways that you could do this but uh, you know it is this a good thing or is this like, hey, we're going to give you a small little piece of real estate to do this that a lot of people probably won't notice?
5: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot over the past few weeks about the listener who wrote in with that suggestion it was really ahead of the curve and the NFL should have listened to the listeners whose name is escaping me right now. We should have looked it up before the show. But we'll call
4: him Mini Oracle.
5: <laughs> they, yes, they should have listened to the Mini Oracle back when they suggested that. But... Um, I mean, a decal is something. It feels a little bit thin to me. Um, just feels like everything else just kind of gets, uh, you know, pushed through this NFL um, branding mechanism that tamps down the real meaning and makes things more bland and palatable to a wider audience. Similar to like how MetLife Stadium just turned out to be gray. <laughs>
4: It's like uh, the NFL is just a big, um, I don't know, I have several kitchen tools in mind uh, for this analogy, so let's see which one you think works best. Garlic press, um, citrus juicer, um, you know, uh, cheese grater, um, but I guess cheese grating though, you you still get all of the cheese, you know, um, maybe a citrus press, right, because then you only get the parts that are like the least upsetting to people, mm-hmm. right, Just just the juice, you know.
5: Okay, yeah. No peeling
4: involved, no seeds, no pulp, you know.
5: Yeah, but then it makes it seem like it's like that's the best part of it, which is not necessarily true, right? True. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, the more processed part. I see your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's just, yeah, I don't know. Uh, It feels like more could be done.
4: Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, we can see and, you know, we saw baseball, Uh, the San Francisco Giants, um, Oakland A's, I think there were players who were kneeling um, during the national anthem, uh, more than a, a small handful. Um, so I think that's a sign of, of things to come, you know, certainly things that we will see more of during this football season. And so I, I, regardless of how the NFL, I think, tries to contain this, I think that the player strength is such at this point that, you know, they're going to be able to find a way to get their message out. So, you know.
5: Yeah, you know, and we've just seen a lot of coordinated social media efforts, obviously, the video response to the NFL's initial response to George the George Floyd death. Um and the push over this weekend to have safer protocols. I mean, we've seen a lot of coordinated social media pushes from players around the league. Um, so I think that's uh, an, a powerful tool in itself. But um, but I think the importance of something on jerseys, you know, beyond a helmet decal that's easy to miss, is just like the wider audience sees it. You 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 know. In order to watch your favorite players, you have to accept the things that they're trying to teach you or talk right. to you about. And I right. think that's what's important.
4: Definitely. All right. What do we have um, for uh, number four?
5: Newly re signed Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones told reporters that he sees five Super Bowl championships in the team's near future, which would mean one roughly every other year of Patrick Mahomes' new extension. Has this news, Connor, made you adjust your initial guess of zero?
4: Mm, maybe I'll go two, two max.
5: Zero to two is a sizable jump.
4: It is a sizable jump, um, but I feel like um, like the NFL is so cyclical. And I was asked about this on a radio show earlier this week. Like, who's going to be able to beat these guys? Somebody. Because somebody will figure it out. Like it always happens. You know, if you put 32 groups of people together and you make it their job or else they're going to be fired to figure out how to beat somebody else, most of the time somebody does it, you know, and they and the league changes and, you know, desirable personnel and everything shifts in one direction. And, and, and I mean, that's how we got the Chiefs in the first place. And so I I just think that, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a transcendent talent, um, but so is Aaron Rodgers and so is, I don't know, um, Brett Favre and John Elway. And Cam Newton and all these players. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win, you know, 11 million Super Bowls in a row.
5: Yeah. I want to say first that, boy, Mitch's poll about how many championships the Chiefs win really has more legs than we initially thought when it was posted. I mean,. We need to re-up this poll. I think we've talked about it every week on the podcast, and now Chris Jones has given us another reason. But yes, I agree with you, Connor. I think that we tend to just underestimate how quickly things change in the NFL. Look at the Chiefs last year. They seemingly had everything in place. I mean, obviously, Mahomes had a midseason injury, but... Uh, had enough time to be in full form for the playoffs, and that team was well put together. They had all of these pieces that they were just trying to hold on to and retain this offseason, and they still almost lost to the Texans, right? I mean, so, um, you know, the Super Bowl was kind of a nail-biter down to the last, you know, until the last couple minutes, till the fourth quarter. So, you know, uh Nothing is it's like it just we see a team that is so dominant and we see a talent like Mahomes that's so dominant. It's easy to forget all the things that have to go right. And I think also because of the Patriots, it we accept the fact that you could win six rings um, with and forget about the fact that that is so hard to do.
4: I'm going to be so it's going to be so much fun to cover Cam Newton Super Bowl Patriots Super Bowl this year. Gosh. I'm so excited about that. (laughs) I cannot wait. Everybody always says when we get to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, a bunch of whiners and complainers, a lot of these sports writers are, Jenny, and they always say, gosh, I can't believe... We have to cover another Patriots Super Bowl. I liked covering Patriots Super Bowls. I enjoyed, uh, you know, I started covering the NFL in 2010. The first Super Bowl that I was lucky enough to attend was 2011, the following year with the Giants and the Patriots. And most of the ones that I've covered have been a version of a Patriots Super Bowl um, since then. And I I always like a good Patriots Super Bowl. I think it's good. It's it's, It's a familiar And it feels it just it makes you feel okay.
5: Count me in the camp that doesn't mind it either. We've said this before, but like covering a team, a dynasty like this, you're seeing it live. So it becomes more special every time they're in the Super Bowl or win. And so I think that is something to be, you know, in real time to be appreciating. Also, they're so used to going to the Super Bowl that they don't tighten up like other teams do that week. They're very loose and you know, there's always a lot made of the fact that Belichick is loose Super Bowl week. And part of that is because he's been there so often. And I was the pool reporter for their Super Bowl practices in Atlanta. And that was a really enjoyable experience. Everyone was super professional, super loose. Uh, you know, Brady was tossing uh, like a little, they had a little throwing game after practice with Brian Hoyer. And Belichick was standing there watching. Belichick's granddaughter was running around. I mean, just like a lot of color. And you really felt like, yeah, this is just like a team that's, you know, Enjoying being there because they're not so panicked about being there, and I think that is what the um, the last you know the the the, uh, routine ness which they've gone to the Super Bowl has created for the team.
4: It's such a weird thing, you know. I think
5: is not a word. uh, You know, something.
4: The dictionary is taking all submissions now. Did you see they made irregardless a word? That uh, I
5: was very opposed to.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what has become of the the English language anyway? We're just able to butcher it and it doesn't matter anymore. Like, you know, the other day I was typing website and I still type capital W-E-B space lowercase s-i-t-e because that was AP style for right years and years and now it's like well people don't like it so we're gonna change it that's ridiculous just like uh more than and over and like all these things that i had to learn and failed you know we, we my first journalism professor at syracuse one typo is an f regardless one ap style error in your story was an f you failed and so you'd have to comb through that and go over it over and over and over and over again and uh you know Now everyone's just like, yeah, I like to say irregardless, and it was funny to me, so we're just going to make it a word. It's ridiculous. So what you're doing is fine. That seems more like a word to me than irregardless.
5: Great, great. I interrupted your other point, so sorry about that.
4: That's okay. Um, you know, I, my other point would be I, I think it's interesting that Belichick is so good at, and, and maybe it's because he's been there so many times, um, at sort of devouring the moment and being in the moment. And maybe that would be cool if there was a Chiefs dynasty where we would get, um, you know, Andy Reid was good during that Super Bowl week. I think yes, he was Andy really Reid good. Was th-
5: good, right? My, my criticism about other teams tightening yes, up does not, not apply to every single exactly. team. Yeah, yeah.
4: But if if the Chiefs dynasty were to emerge. I think that that would be a gift to football fans because I think he, like Belichick, would treat the Super Bowl week in the way that I think um, a lot of people liked, which is to is to open the door. You know, you know what I mean, and to let people in and to give them a glimpse of that of how this is happening. And I think he gets that. I think he's really good at that. Um, you know, I can even remember my first Super Bowl and and thinking like I'm there's a good chance like I'm never going to be here again. Uh typical weak side pod pessimism. I was like, I'll screw something up with the sidebar, which was on Wes Welker dropping a pass in that game. I remember. And like just the aggression that I put towards remembering every moment of that, um, you know, Madonna was at halftime. And I remember like, even just like getting a little choked up because I was like, you know, maybe this will be the only time I get to see it. And you're trying to remember everything about Madonna. I'm not a Madonna fan. I didn't grow up listening to Madonna, but at the same time, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) are you a big Madonna fan?
5: I mean, growing up, like uh, my sister and I had this thing where we, I, have, I have a can next to me, so I'm going to see if I can do it. You know, in early Like a Prayer, there's that ooh.
4: Yeah, 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 So we would sure. try
5: to blow over the can to make the noise. <laughs> I don't know if that registered. We would try to make the sound to the intro to Like a Prayer, like add our own sound effects. See, Big Ma- Madonna fans.
4: You, We are of the same generation, but I feel like the very slight negligible age difference between the two of us is significant in the Madonna thing in particular, because right. I feel like she true. was a mega star for your childhood. And then I was like, like even like two years later, like that changed drastically.
5: You know? That's true. That's true. But, um but yes, I think your points are good ones. And I, and I do agree. I think if there is a team that would be con- able to be continue to be loose and, you know, unfazed by, this pressure of the Super Bowl. Andy Reid is who you'd want as a head coach, and Patrick Mahomes is who you'd want as a quarterback. So I do think they have the potential to have that same Patriots mindset of business like we're here to do a job, but also appreciate it a little bit. Um, so yes, so so okay. I, you know, maybe I've uh, well, maybe we're coming around to the same point here. I think. Yeah,
4: maybe producer Shelby can s- s- sneak in a little. I guess my favorite Madonna song would be like a prayer, you know, or maybe I mean, it's Ma-
5: the most iconic one, but there's it's other definitely good like ones, a prayer. you know, um, borderline holiday, you know,
4: she had a good um, comeback, sort of like when, uh, during the really the peak of the music video era. Um, so like ray of light was a good. Yeah, one. I mean,
5: they were they were okay. They just yeah. weren't the original, but it was, you know, she was around still.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, All right. Our last news topic. Sean McVay said that the post-Todd Gurley running back situation will work itself out. Um, they have 29 third round pick Daryl Henderson, 2020 second round pick Cam Akers and longtime Gurley backup Malcolm Brown. Um, I'm actually kind of excited about this. I think that McVeigh with different tools at the running back position, no pressure, I think uh, that came with Gurley and that giant contract. I think it might allow him to actually be a little bit more creative and versatile with the, his personnel. I think this could be better for the Rams offense than it was in the past.
5: I wholeheartedly agree. I think that having different options that can maybe fill different roles, you know, to go with the appliances in the kitchen, you know, maybe you've got a couple different lemon devices that work <laughs> one that juices one that makes the little spiral peels, and then mm. you know, another, another greater type. So um, <laughs> I'm not sure and then you come out with some really great lemonade and other lemon (laughs) items (laughs) this is really devolving connor but you know you got the kitchen appliances on my mind but i I think this is the way to go with running backs you know obviously they had a talent that they really liked and they tried to make it work but obviously he had some injury issues which contributed to that and so i think now you kind of have a couple different players that can Together make the same production and you're less dependent on one player, his health, his status, etc.,
4: yeah. Meanwhile, some teams, uh, you know, are paying 15, 16 million dollars for running back a year and we'll see what uh, see how that works out for them. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> there's going to be a certainly a renaissance of the Rams and McVay, I think in general. I do I mean, too. yeah, I you know, I was uh, I did a radio spot with a Cardinals area station and they were talking about, you know, just how set the division seems. And to me. You know the Rams coming back and just smoking everybody this year would not surprise me in the least. Like if, if for them to go twelve and four and take the division and everyone be like, oh yeah, we forgot that McVeigh was a was a good coach and he had good personnel. Like that is seems totally plausible to me.
5: A hundred percent. I would also pick them to win the division right now. Um, I am.
4: I opted against, uh, in our football preview issue, um, I I did the AFC, and so I had to then pick the standings. Um, I requested not to do the NFC. I've just, I've had enough NFC, you know, I'm just very tired of the NFC. But if I, if I did, um, I might Wow,
5: okay, I was unaware of the stance. (laughs) This is new information. (laughs) What? (laughs) Just, you know, I'm
4: just tired of the NFC. You know, it's just, you know, there's just too much going on. And they're in the Buccaneers and, you know, everybody talks about the, you know, the Saints and like everything that's going on. OK, you know, um, you know, there's just there's too much going on there. The AFC is where the action's at. OK, um, and fair this enough. Is a-
5: I mean, I would tend to agree.
4: This is also a callback to a good friend of mine, Mark Sessler, who um, we were on NFL Network one time and we did a segment on what's one thing that you would get rid of for the upcoming season. And Mark just disbanded the NFC. That was his desire was just to completely disband <laughs> the NFC. So that, that was just a, a nice callback to him. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think the Rams are going to be fine. They're going to be great. Um, we'll see a little bit of Sean McVay on Hard Knocks, too. So that'll be exciting.
5: I remember when I was covering the Giants and I don't remember what context this came up, but Tom Coughlin was talking about how there were a lot of good teams in the NFC East or maybe the NFC overall. And there was some reference to like party in the NFC. And it was around the same time that party in the USA by Miley Cyrus came out. And I just remember every time I hear that song, I just think of party in the NFC. Um, I really would like to go back and find the quote. Um, there was probably some ill-advised tweet about it, likening it to the Miley Cyrus lyrics, but I also may have been less on Twitter at that time, so God, I'm actually pretty at, mo- much on Twitter right now, I would say. But
4: I'm I'm uh, less and less on Twitter. Um, thank you to the fans that do send us the DMs. That's pretty much all I check at this point. Um, uh, you know, I think they need to make a Twitter that makes you feel better after you use it, you know?
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it, used a, it used to be an antidote. Yeah.
4: I always felt bad for you, though, when I f- we first started working together on the beat because, like, you um, would just be, like, firing off all these, like, newsy nuggets, and I was, like, just trying to find my way, and I would just tweet a bunch of nonsense, and, you know, you know it was just a big volume nonsense tweeter at the beginning of my career, you know? And uh, I don't know. Just feel like that was not the way to go.
5: Oh, Connor, I was a nonsense tweeter, too. It was probably some, like, minor transaction with a hashtag NYJ, so it would go to our, like, feed on the NJ.com site or something like that. I'm not sure. We were sure.
4: so ahead of the technological Hashtags
5: curve. really meant something different back in the day. But, um, all right, Oracle time. <sighs>
4: I don't know. This is uh, this is a big one, um, and uh, so this comes from uh, we did uh, you know put to rest our uh, you know football preview issue, which is I'm very excited about. Um, and um, I had speaking of the AFC, a um, little bit of a heat seeker prediction here. Um, I have the Steelers and the Browns finishing with the exact same record, but with a tiebreaker. Um, pushing the Steelers into the playoffs over the Browns, but three teams in the AFC North with a winning record this year, this year. What do you think about that?
5: Wow. Okay. Well, I think that's possible. I mean, I feel like that division often has these kind of like, um, you know, log jams, right? A lot of teams in the mix. So that's interesting.
4: Yeah. I'm like, you know what I have a really bad habit of doing is getting like super high on a new head coach that – um and then just totally talking myself into it. And Kevin Stefanski is is like, is like that person for me right now. And, uh, you know, as a Browns fan, I've been doing this for... Uh, I'm not a Browns fan anymore, but as a Browns fan from my childhood, I've been doing a version of this for, I don't know, 20, 20 years, you know. Butch Davis is going to fix this. Um, oh God. Butch Davis, Romeo Cornell. Um, Mike Patton. Mike Patton. Uh, Chris Palmer. Um... Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe misguided, but I don't know. I think we're going to have a fun little log jam in the AFC North. I think the AFC North is going to be a fierce division again, like when the Steelers, Bengals and Ravens were Ravens, all good at the right, same time.
5: Right. Yeah. Okay. I right, like that prediction. Um all right, my Brentis consensus is um we've talked before about kind of how there's no good owners or the ownership model in sports is screwed up and the nwsl has an amazing ownership model there's an expansion franchise that they're uh going to start play i believe in 2022 in los angeles uh angel city something um i think i think they're still coming up with the name and the branding but it's this fantastic ownership group with lots of people in it there's 14 former U.S. Women's National Team members, Natalie Portman, Serena Williams, and Alexis Ohanian Jr., and their daughter, Olympia. Um, So it was just kind of this awesome consortium approach, um, and I think this is the kind of thing that would make sports better if you had ownership models that include former players and that include leading voices and uh, people that really want to build something that matters, not just for what happens on the field, but more broadly. Um, and, I, you know, I, I just really love this model. There's obvious barriers in the NFL. I think any ownership group someone has to own at least 30 percent of the team and given the value of nfl franchises that limits the pool of people that can become club owners and i think that gets us in this position where we are and that there's this vast disconnect by the people who own the teams and the people who are playing and often the general public and so i don't know if there could be some kind of change to the ownership model connor but this consortium is something to get excited about i love it and it was uh, primarily uh Women-owned, and I just think it was a really neat step, and maybe something that could grow in professional sports.
4: I I totally agree. I, I, you know, I thought that was really cool first step, and you know, NFL should start paying attention. I mean, I think that eventually, um, some of the spring football leagues that um, tried to um, exist and failed, one of their big pushes was to go to a sort of a celebrity-focused ownership model, but you know also making sure that that was a diverse celebrity focused ownership model and i think that is like you said the best way to at least breathe new life into this you know um and to stop getting what we have now which is akin to just a country club where nobody is allowed in you know and so i think that this is great you know
5: 100 percent. and angel city fc is what i think it's being called which is a pretty awesome name as well so very cool you know for teams that are interested in rebranding ie washington um you know there are lots of directions to go that swamp city fc (laughs)
4: yeah Just be real wow. about what's going on, you know? Wow. Swamp City swamp FC. Swamp
5: City FC. Now that is the winner. And like then your you could mascot a could be like swamp a swamp thing. animal. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh, this is the God, best I can't Brandy. believe we
4: just figured it out.
5: You this know? is my favorite moment of the Weekside Podcast, Connor, is these revelations we come to. Sometimes, you know, it happens maybe once or twice a year. But the first <laughs> one was cracking the NFL schedule when we realized that the plan was really to have it start in week five, um, that's when the Giants play the Cowboys. And now we have come up with Swamp City F C and Swamp Monsters as the mascot. <laughs> it ideal. makes me think of
4: like the in- the entrance to the stadium would be like, did you ever go to Rainforest Cafe when oh you were my a gosh, little kid? <laughs> yeah. I love
5: Rainforest Cafe. This yeah. is a fantastic idea. Like we should misting, be hired. Like yeah. We could could be branding consultants based on this conversation alone we could send this in as our tape our resume tape or
4: a lot of talent on this pod <laughs> just a lot of brain power and a lot of talent you know that's that's I've and I've always thought that so M- mostly on the other end of the microphone but you know
5: this is a really fantastic development all right well for those people who stuck till the end you got the big reveal of the show um, Boom. and come back next week maybe we'll have another revelation that's worthwhile so <laughs> The MMQB Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Vrentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Moravik is emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Keep up with our entire lineup of podcasts five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
3: So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is.
0: And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy.